Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 8 through 14. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Um, Pray with me one more time. Father in heaven, God, we open up your word today and we ask you to teach us. We ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us, um, to each person, Lord, to give us understanding of spiritual things. Lord, use my feeble mouth um, and speak through me. God, I pray that uh, your word would go forth and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish today in every life. Thank you for the baptisms, the new life that we are celebrating uh, in Christ today, God. um, You're so good, and so we give you thanks and praise, and we are looking forward to seeing what you do in each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when I was a kid, I was addicted to... Adrenaline. Um, I kind of grew out of that in my 20s, but uh, as, a, as a kid, I had to find the riskiest things that I could to do. Um, and so I um, grew up on a hill, and one of the things I would do is race my bike down that hill as fast as I could. And occasionally, I'd veer off into a, a neighbor's driveway, and then there was this big drop-off, and I would try and get airborne and uh, and... And then other times, I would just go straight as fast as I could to the bottom and then try and skid out and do a complete 180 at the bottom and be facing up the hill by the time I stopped. And, uh, and then I learned how to ride with no hands. And so, of course, you know, I had to up the ante and I had to go down the hill as fast as I could with no hands. Um, well, after a little while, uh, that became, you know, too easy. And so I had to up it again. And so I decided one day, why not try going down the hill with no hands with my eyes closed? (laughs) And uh, on either side of the street were brick mailboxes. 
And um, I learned the hard way that if you don't keep your eyes focused on where you're trying to go, you will easily drift to the side. And I woke up, I, you could say, uh, crumpled in a heap at the bottom of a brick mailbox. And I never rode down the hill with my eyes closed again. Um, you know, in this life, in this Christian life, if we are not focused on what's in front of us, on the road ahead, on where we are to be headed, we too will drift. And we're going to find out um, throughout that, this letter of 2 Timothy that to drift, to drift from center, from the road that we're called to is very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. So let me um, set the context for where we're at today. Um, again, we're in 2 Timothy. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of a church that Paul planted in Ephesus a number of years back. Paul's writing to Timothy in the, the last stages of his life. He knows that his end is near. He's writing from prison. He had gone to Rome with hopes to preach the gospel to very influential people in the most influential city in the world. And he ended up in prison, and God used that to advance the gospel in ways that he could have never imagined. So here he is in Rome, in prison, writing to uh, Timothy, his, his younger protege, who's a pastor in Ephesus. And he's trying to encourage Timothy to um, finish well. That, that Paul's saying, I, I've finished well, I, I've, I've run my race, and, and we're going to get to that later in the letter. But he's saying, I've run my race, I've gotten to the end of the road, and I've, and I've finished well. And he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. And as he does that, he is, and in this passage that we're going to look at today and throughout it, he's pointing Timothy to the impossibly high and holy calling that he has. And yet, he, he, he does so without flinching at all. Yes, it's high in, in holy calling. It's impossibly high and holy. And yet, and yet, he says, I, I am convinced that he is able. Did you catch that in verse 12? I am convinced that he is able. So Timothy and, and we are all called, actually, to an impossibly high and holy calling. Today we have a celebration of new life in Christ with baptisms and and we have people in this room who are just starting out on this road of faith. We have others who have been walking with Jesus for decades. And the reality is that no one, not one of us, can get to the end of the road, to the end of our lives, and be able to say, I did it, I, I ran the race, I, I finished well, I kept my faith to the end. No one can do that without the Holy Spirit and God's power working in their lives. No one. And here's what I have um, come to realize is that as we um, walk this road of faith, 
as we journey on this road of faith, we can look at this high and holy calling and we can have one of two responses that are both errors that I want to help us avoid. One error is to look at the high and holy calling and say, throw up our hands and say, you know what? That's impossible. I mean, who can do that? I'm not going to try because it'd be better not to try than to try and fail, <laughs> right? And so we, we throw up our hands and we say, I, you know what? I'm just going to kind of distract myself. I'll, I'll keep going to church. Fine. I'll go to community group. Fine. I'll be, in, I'll be involved in, in the church. Fine. But you know what? I'm not going to put forth real effort because who can do it? And so at night, we'll, we'll numb ourselves with, with TV and movies and whatever else, and, and, we'll, and we'll put our whole lives into our work, and we'll just be completely absorbed with that, and we'll distract ourselves from the fact that we're not living up to the calling that we've been given. I think that's one error. Despair, essentially. Then the other error is to look at it and to say, I got this. I can do this. I, I, okay, you know what? I'm a, I'm a go-getter. <laughs> and, and you know what? I've had a pretty good track record, so I can do this. That's the other ditch. It's the ditch of self-reliance. And what we're going to see in this passage today, I, I, I hope, is, is what will help us to avoid those two ditches. It's what will help us to, to be able to look at the high and holy calling, to be able to see it, look at it head on and say, you know what, that is impossible what I've been called to do, and I am empowered by the God of impossibilities, the God who does the impossible, the God who speaks to a 99-year-old man, Abraham, and says, I'm going to give you children. <laughs> And it is impossible. And you know what? I'm still going to do it. What we're going to see today is that I, I think Paul, what Paul saw, what Paul, I think, was able to do is he was able to look at it and he, and he didn't say, this is impossible. Throw up my hands. I'm not even going to try. And he didn't say, I got this. Instead, he said, I know what I'm called to. I know that it's way bigger than me. And I also know the one who called me. And I am totally and completely confident that he is able. He is able. He's able to do through me what he's called me to do. He is able to keep me to the end. He is able to guard what's been entrusted to me. That's faith. That's what each one of us are going to have to be able to do to get to the end of our lives and be able to say, I finished well. So, Here's how I want to do this. I want to first just kind of go through here and look at this, a few of these impossibly high and, and, and holy things that we've been called to, and then um, we'll, we'll go from there. So what is our impossibly high and holy calling? Well, we began talking about this last week, but in verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. And then notice, by the power of God. By the power of God. Share in suffering. Here's the first 
impossibly high thing that we've been called to. We're, we're called to share in suffering, embrace it, actually, when it comes our way for the sake of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when I think about that, it scares me. Just being honest. I know that when I think about being rejected and hated for the name of Christ, that scares me. And, and, and in my own strength, it is impossible for me to stand under that. But praise be to God, I don't have to stand under that in my own strength, right? And so I can look at it head on. I can just look at it and realize this is what I'm called to. I am called to do something impossible by His power. I'm called to tell people the good news about Jesus. I'm called to be rejected for that sometimes. Sometimes I won't be, right? Sometimes I'm going to tell people about Jesus and they are going to to hear that and they're going to say, tell me more. Praise the Lord. And sometimes I'm going to tell people about Jesus and they are going to hate me for it. They're going to see me as as narrow-minded and ignorant, right? And, And whatever else our culture says, intolerant, And they're not going to understand. And I have to be able to look at that and say, this is still what I'm called to do, and so I will do it. Um, I'm to do it without being ashamed, right? Listen, this is not a new thing in our culture. This has been true in every generation that the world looks at Christians and tries to heap shame on us for being Christians, for believing that there is one way to God and his name is Jesus Christ and there is truth and it's found outside of us and that there is an ancient book that are the words of God and we believe it to be true entirely. And the world will look at us and try to make us feel ashamed. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Did you know that? That when Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world, he was doing the most holy, most righteous thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. And the world looked at him and tried to shame him for it. And he despised the shame, that word. It literally means to think little or nothing of. Jesus is perfect, sinless. And so in his response to shame, he was perfect and sinless. This is to be our response to the world's shame for righteousness is that we're to think little or nothing of it. We're not to receive it. We're not to give another thought to it. It comes from evil and only leads to evil. This is how Jesus remained obedient. We're not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor to be ashamed to identify with other Christians who suffer for the sake of the gospel. What else can we see about our high and holy calling here? Well, he says, look at verse 11. He says that, um, that because of the gospel, he was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. So, 
Um, this is Paul's calling, but I want to show you that this is also, in so many ways, this is our calling too. Preacher, it, it means to herald good, the new, it, to herald news, to herald the good news specifically. So to preach, it's to proclaim, it's, it's to tell publicly something. And, and Paul says, I, I, because of the gospel, I was appointed. Jesus chose me. He didn't, he didn't go and volunteer for this, right? Jesus picks him and he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. He chooses Paul and he says, I'm picking you and I'm sending you. You're going to be my ambassador. You, you're on your way to go and kill and imprison Christians. And guess what? You're done with that. I, I've set my, my sights on you. You're actually going to be an instrument for me, for my glory. And so he sends him to preach, to proclaim good news. And we are called to do the same right? We're called to give our testimony, to be witnesses, to tell others about Jesus. He says that he was called to be an apostle. Well, now he's talking about um, the capital A, apostle. It means a sent one. It's one sent with authority. It's one who, who went, who was sent specifically by Jesus, and those were limited, right? But he's an apostle, is a sent one, and he went wherever Jesus sent him, and he went and planted churches, and he preached the gospel in places that didn't have it. But guess what? Every single one of us are also called to go wherever we are sent and to do whatever Jesus sends us, commissions us to do. So you, you may not be called to be a church planter, to go and plant a church somewhere, but don't rule that out. You also might be, even if you don't think that you are right now. But you are called, every one of you are called to go where Christ sends you. And for most of you, what that's going to mean is to go into your workplace and take the good news there. Or to go into your family and take the good news there. Or to go into your circle of friends and to take the good news there. And he may call you to move to a place that's even less reached than this. He may call you to go overseas to, to a completely unreached people group. And if he does, you will go. Because he is Lord, and we're not. It says, and then that he's appointed as a teacher. Everywhere Paul went, he would preach the gospel, and then as people responded to that and, came and started coming around and saying, tell me more, he would open the word to them, and he would teach them. He, he would show them that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. He, he would explain to them, and then he would show them the pattern of sound teaching that he's talking about here. He's, he's going to teach people how to know Jesus and follow Jesus. That is also your calling. Did you know that? That we are all, we all have been commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that he commanded us. And so if you're not there yet, if you're not 
able to teach yet, um, then, then work towards that. Make that a goal. For every believer, we should have the goal that we can get to the point in our understanding of the Word of God that we could sit down with another person and open it up and explain to them who Jesus is and what He's done for us and what He calls us to as His followers. This is all of our calling. And let's be honest, it's an impossibly high and holy calling. And then finally, look at verses 13 and 14. He says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what is this pattern of sound words? Um, Eric, Eric and I were chatting earlier this week, and he brought up a great, a great point about this word pattern. You know, pattern means that it fits together, that it makes sense, right? And the pattern of sound words, when you begin to study God's word, and the more that you dig into it, the more you realize that this is not just random. These are not just random things strung together. This all fits together. The entire word of God makes sense. It doesn't, it's not contradictory. If you come to a, a place where it looks like something is contradicting something else in the scriptures, then, then the, you're not understanding it. The word of God is perfect, inerrant. It is the words of God. God breathed. It's, it is the pattern of sound words, and it all fits together. It is, it produces a coherent whole. Even though it's been written over uh, some 1,700 years by 40 different authors, it is a coherent whole. And so why does it matter so much to Paul? And and if you were here for our, our study through 1 Timothy, we saw this in 1 Timothy as well. It matters so much to Paul that you guard good doctrine, sound doctrine. The word sound, it means healthy, that you guard healthy doctrine. Why does that matter so much to Paul? Well, among other things, because to veer from sound doctrine, from correct orthodox Christian teaching is to veer from the faith. Here's the way that Paul's going to put it later on in 2 Timothy 2.18, that false teachers have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They've swerved from the truth. Now, he is saying this, and, and he constantly encourages, because False teachers don't decide one day that they're going to be false teachers. Otherwise, here, this is the way that Paul would encourage Timothy. Listen, decide that you're never going to become a false teacher. And, and tell everyone in your church, make sure that you don't ever become a false teacher. Right? It's not how he does it. He says, guard, guard the doctrine that I gave to you protect it. Keep it. Don't veer from it. Because false teachers become false teachers. 
not, not intentionally, but because they are deceived. In the first letter to Timothy, Paul says that anyone who teaches a different doctrine, he calls this different doctrine um, in that first letter demonic, deceitful, insincere lies, divisive. He says that it causes people to wander away from God, that it lacks understanding, that it leads to disobedience and ungodly behavior. So Christian, hear me, listen. You have a responsibility to know your Bible. You have a responsibility. This is part of your high and holy calling to learn Scripture, to learn it. Now, you may be brand new. Don't get discouraged. This is why we are here. We want to help you. We want to show you how to study the Bible. We want to teach you to be able to do this. But it is an impossibly high and holy calling. This is part of what we've been called to, to guard our faith by guarding our doctrine, to be careful. I want to give you a few pointers on this. Besides getting familiar with your Bible, soak in it every single day. Because you need your mind renewed every single day. If you're not in your Bible every single day, start doing that. That is the very first thing I would encourage you to do. Read your Bible every day. Study it every day. Soak in it every day. Second thing is I would, I would encourage you to make sure that the teachers that you are listening to are sound. And I think that in our modern age, this is more difficult than it ever has been before because of the internet. Because... I mean, when Paul says that in, in the last days, people are going to accumulate for themselves uh, teachers to suit their own passions, to, to tickle their ears. How did they accumulate teachers back then? I don't know, but I know how it happens today. All you got to do is go to YouTube and you can accumulate teachers for yourself. In about five minutes, you can accumulate false teachers for yourself that you like, that, that tickle your ears, that make you feel great. But here's, here's the reality. When, when you hear good, solid preaching, it's going to convict you. It's going to make you see yourself in the mirror of the Word of God and say, I need to change. Right? Be careful who you listen to. The other problem with the internet is the way that we're told that we can, uh, that we can discern false teachers is by their life, by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit, Jesus says. And so the problem with the internet is you can, you can be listening to somebody, have no idea what they're like at home. No idea who they really are. Thirdly, I would say, pursue truth in a community of believers. So important that you pursue truth in, in, in community because... Um, we are so prone to error, and we need each other. We need other Christians to say, you know what, I, you know, you're saying this, but let me, let me just say, I don't think that that's what that means. And to correct us, um, this is supposed to happen in community, right? That we have each other. We're sharpening one another in community. Um, or we need another believer to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this pattern in your life. It doesn't look healthy, What's going on there? 
We need another believer to say, I know that it feels really hard right now, but there's hope for you. And Christ is going to get you through this. He's going to strengthen you. We need to pursue this in community. And then the last thing I would suggest is learn, learn historic Christian doctrine. Because um, I'm a firm believer in what Charles Spurgeon said. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. There are not any new truths out there, by the way. Anything that is true today has always been true. And so get to know historic Christian doctrine, and it will help you to guard your faith. So, just to kind of recap our impossibly high and holy calling, we've been called to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to share good news with anyone who will listen, we're to go wherever we're sent, and we're to make disciples, and we must cling to sound doctrine like our life depends on it because it does. This is an impossibly high and holy calling. So how do we keep from looking at that and falling into either the ditch of despair, hopelessness, throwing up our hands, that's, I'm not even going to try, or the ditch of self-reliance and saying, I got this. I'm a hard worker. I'm smart. I got this. How do we do it? Here's what I see in this passage. Um, as I just poured over this and poured over this, I began to see that everywhere that Paul is telling Timothy or talking about even his own impossibly high and holy calling, he's also talking about God's power and work through them. And I think that this is how Paul did it, is I think Paul never lost sight of the fact that God did it all through him. Let let me just show you in this passage. Um, In verse 8, he says, this is God's part. He says that God gives us the power to suffer faithfully for the gospel, right? Suffering, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But he's also saying share in suffering for the gospel, right? In verse 8, Nine, he's going to talk about, and we're going to break this down in just a minute, the gospel, that God saves us. It's God who saves us and calls us because of his own purpose and grace. He gives us this grace by uniting us to Jesus even before time began, before the ages began, it says in verse 9. But what's implied in that is that we have a responsibility to trust in Jesus Christ and to receive life and immortality through the gospel, right? In verse 10, it says that he makes his plan manifest through Jesus. What's his plan? His plan is to abolish death, to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel, But then in verse 11, he talks about the fact that he was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And so here he's saying, but I'm called to go and preach it. I'm called to go where I'm sent. I'm called to teach others this good news. God's power, our responsibility. In verse 13, or sorry, verse 12, he says, 
I am not ashamed, for I know that I, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So God guards what's entrusted to us until the end. And yet, we're to, uh, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and have an absolute confidence in his ability to keep us. I know whom I have believed. We're to grow in our knowledge of Jesus so that we grow in our confidence in his ability, right? And then verses 13 and 14, he provides us with the faith and love that we need by giving us Jesus. He empowers us through the Holy Spirit in us to guard our doctrine and to stay true to the faith. And yet we're we're challenged to guard our faith, to follow the pattern of sound teaching, right? To guard our doctrine. So here we have in this passage, all through it, God's work, but our responsibility. And, and that's not a paradox. The Bible is perfectly comfortable with both existing at the same time. God's work, our responsibility. Here's the way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15.10. We should have this one. Paul says, but by the grace of God, by his grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. (laughs) You see that? I worked harder than anybody. Well, Well, but it was the grace of God at work through me. And Paul's perfectly comfortable with both, right? Philippians 2, 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to work to please him, but it is God who works in you to work to please him. So here, I mean, this is it in a nutshell. We need to become comfortable with both. God's power his empowering in our lives and our responsibility so that we can look at it head on this impossibly high and holy calling that we've been given and not shrink back from it and not throw up our hands and give up, but, but not look at it and say, okay, I can do this. I got this. Instead, we look at it and we say, if God empowers me, if he's commanded me, then he will empower me. And so Okay, God, do this work. Do this work through me. I love the way that he puts it in verse 12. I just want to look at that together. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. In other words, Paul kept walking the road of absolute dependence and trust in the one who saved him. How did he do that? Well, here's how I think he did it. He never got over the gospel. He never got over the gospel. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us who saved us. What does he mean, who saved us? Well, the Bible says that we were headed for eternity apart from God in hell. That our sin, 
our rebellion against God, that, that we are creatures, that there is a creator, that he designed us and designed life to be lived a certain way, and that we have lived without reference to God in the world that he created. We have rebelled against him and gone our own way, and that the, the penalty for that sin is death eternally. Separation from the giver of life forever. We were, as the Bible says, living in darkness, blind to the truth, deceived. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were sons and daughters of disobedience following the course of this world. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And though we were enemies of God, he saved us. He saved us. Don't get over that. Don't ever get to the point in your life when you can look at that truth and shrug your shoulders. No, no, we will be praising him for eternity for what he has done. It is a completely a pure act of grace. You didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve his love. And he's called us, look, look at what he says next, and called us to a holy calling. Listen, we, we were drifters in this world, living for ourselves. Even our good deeds, were, were tr- we were trying to build a righteousness of our own. We were living completely for ourselves, and he snatched us up. He saved us. He forgave us of our sins. And he enlisted us. And he said, I want to give you purpose. I want to actually use you to take this good news that's transformed your life to others that don't know me so that they can be changed for eternity. He's called us to a holy calling. And look, not because of our works. Not because of our works. If you... If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, I, plan on, I plan on following Jesus eventually, but I've got to get my life right first. Let me just encourage you that that is impossible. You cannot get your life right apart from Jesus. You, you can't clean yourself up and, and be good enough to come into a relationship with him. That's not how it works. The way that it works is that you say, here is all my mess, all my sin. This is the real me. This is is who I am. And Jesus, I want to know you. And I believe that you are who you said you were. You're the son of God. You're the king of the universe. You're the one that died for my sins and that you were raised from the dead on the third day. I believe it. And I, though I can't change myself, I'm coming to you and hoping that you would change me, that you would forgive me, that you'd give me a new life. And you know what? If you do that, he will. He will change you. He will forgive you of your sins, and he will give you a new life. It is not because of our works we can never be good enough to come into a relationship with him. 
maybe you're familiar with um, Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. You know, we, we recognize sometimes, some, sometimes, when we're in our right mind, Christians, we recognize that it's all grace. It's all grace that He saved us. And that that grace was mediated to us through our faith in Jesus. That we put faith in Jesus, and that faith enabled grace to flow into our lives. And, and, and in our best moments, we remember that, that that's true, that that's the gospel, that that's how he saved someone that was powerless. But here's, here's, what, here's what Paul understood, that the same grace that was needed, that the same grace that was mediated through faith to save him was the same grace that was needed to do any of the stuff that God had called him to. The same grace that was needed, the unmerited favor that was needed to be given to him, to save him, that same grace and unmerited favor is what he needed to be able to be an apostle a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. It's the same grace that was needed for him to be able to suffer for the sake of the gospel and to not be ashamed of it. It was the same grace that he needed to be able to guard the doctrine that had been entrusted to him. And how does grace come? Through faith. And so, believer, we are saved by grace through faith, and any good works that we do from that moment on, they are done by grace through faith. As you trust him, as you don't give in to despair or self-reliance, but you trust him completely, you look head on at the high and holy calling that he's given you to follow him, and you say, I trust you. I can only do this with your power, but I can do this through your power. That faith will mediate the grace that you need to be able to do all that he's called you to do. Hebrews 12.1 puts it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Christian, run the race that's set before you, but don't run with your eyes closed. (laughs) Open your eyes. Look to Jesus. Trust him. He was the one who gave you faith in the first place. He's the one who is going to get you to the finish line in the end. Trust him. And then walk. Walk the road. Carry out the things that he's called you to do. Live in obedience to him by his power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you today grant to us a fresh measure of faith 
to believe that all that you have called us to do, you have equipped us to do by the Holy Spirit who is in us. To believe that, Lord, you never command us to do a single thing without, com- without empowering us to do it. Help us, Lord, not to close our eyes. Help us not to give in to despair. Help us not to rely on our own strength. Lord, help us to look to you, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and to keep looking to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.